Hi, this is Alex. This week it's just me on the Sources and Methods podcast. I'm actually presenting an interview I did a while back with Gabriel Weiner, a really interesting language learner, teacher, and author. This has been available over on SoundCloud before, but Matt and I thought that the listeners of this podcast would probably also find something interesting in the discussion, so I present it here for you today in the original, unedited form. Bear in mind that it was recorded a month ago, so some of the time references will be off. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on, Gabe. I'd just like to start off by asking, you've written this book about uh, languages and language learning, and there have been a whole bunch of other books which have come out um, this year, um, also, you know, relating to, you know, uh, how, to, how to learn a language, how you can learn language in um, less time. Um, uh, why, firstly, I mean, do, do you have any sense of why suddenly now people are getting interested in, in learning kind of foreign languages? That's a good question. Um, I think, I think it's been building for a while. I mean, I think there's a sense of, uh, globalization that's been happening for the last, I mean, forever, but, <laughs> uh, really very intensely for the last few years. And, I've just noticed generally in sort of the media discussions of, uh, oh, well, it's time to learn Chinese. It's time to learn Chinese. Like there, there's this this thing where uh, I think English is becoming less, while English is still the lingua franca, it's, it's, it's becoming less um, universal. It's becoming this thing where you can no longer assume that everyone's just simply going to know English and that you don't need to care. Like there are other world powers out there that are now becoming very, very large. And I suspect that has something to do with it. Um, and also, I think with the with the economic crisis that just recently happened, I think there was some sense of, well, what can we do to make this to, you know, if I need to be more competitive on the job market, if I need to be more just lucrative, uh, how do I do that? And I think language ends up being one of those answers. I, I mean, I, I have no no kind of statistics uh, or, or any numbers to, to back this up, but I... I um, my sense is that even though there are a lot of books and stuff about, you know, people need to learn languages and so on, um, the number of people who are taking the time to learn foreign language, you know, it's it's not like there's going to be a sudden spike um, uh, in that, that if, if, if that's growing at all, uh, that's, that's a kind of relatively stable growth. Um, wh- why, um, my assumption is that relatively few people, particularly in the English speaking world, take the time to to learn foreign languages. Do you have any any sense of why that is? Um, I mean, in terms of the numbers, you're right. It is relatively low. Uh, I think the, the U.S. statistics are horrible. Uh, <laughs> I think we have, um, I think 19% of the U.S. population is bilingual. And I think 18% of the U.S. population has, uh, has a non-English uh, native language. And if, you take out, if, and if you take out Spanish, I guess those figures are far lower as well. Yeah, I mean, basically, you're, you're talking about something around 1% of the U.S. population actually taking the time to learn it, <laughs> right? where everyone else is taking the time to learn English because they need to. Yeah. Um, I think in Britain, it's, uh, it's something like 30% uh, compared with the EU's, like 60% bilingualism. Or more, uh, it's, I mean, it's, English is the worst thing you can, like, having English as your native language is probably the worst thing you can do to, to, to learn a foreign language. I mean, <laughs> it's just too easy not to. Um, I think that's, to answer your question in terms of why so few people do it, I think part of it is, uh, in terms of the English-speaking realm, I think part of it is that there's just less of a need for it. 
and so, and it is a lot of work. And so it's like, well, why spend this time uh, when you can get away with just knowing English? Um, but I think a lot of it, and perhaps most of it, is that almost all of us have failed at learning languages at some point. Uh, I mean, we, we've, we, I think it's an almost universal experience, at least in the U.S., of people uh, going to high school, going to college, taking years and years of a language course, and getting nowhere. And that's not an experience that people want to repeat in any way. I mean, the, the failure is uncomfortable. And I think... Um, and I think the fact that it's almost universal is interesting. <laughs> Do I mean often? Often I hear people um, uh, saying to me, you know, oh, I'm just not good at learning languages, or you know, there's some kind of special language gene you speak, so and, uh, X and X language. Um, you know, this must be because you're specially gifted or something. Is there any evidence for that kind of innate language learning ability? Um, there's evidence to the contrary to some extent. I mean, there's there's there is the fact that every single person picks up their own native language uh, at about the same age. That there's no, uh, for one, that's there's no language that turns out to be more complicated or more difficult than any other one. Uh, with within you know within a one to two year range, yes. uh, everyone is fluent by the age of five. And there's nothing like, it's not like Chinese kids are suddenly like, oh God, this language is really hard. I'm not going to be able to speak it until I'm 10. Right. Um, and so all the languages are seemingly universal in their complexity. And it seems like we're, we all have this ability to pick up those languages. Um, and so, but that's something that people generally are comfortable with. They're comfortable with this idea that, okay, children can do this. But when you but get to just, an adult, then, of course, it's completely different. I mean, it, how, how does that work for, for second language acquisition when you're, when you're an adult? Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there, that's a, a good question. And uh, the assumption is that as soon as you, hit, you become an adult, you, you lose this ability and you have to do it in some other way. Um, and when you look at the actual statistics, it's, uh, that's not the case. And that's what's really sort of exciting. Uh, that's... You, as soon as you, this myth happens because you, you show up and you see these kids who speak better French than you do or better Spanish than you do when they're five and you've been working at this for years and you think, okay, well, this is not fair. Uh, this, <laughs> this kid clearly is learning faster than I am and, and, and it's, you know, something is wrong here. I've lost this language gene. I've lost this ability that I once had as a child. Um, and it's always an unfair comparison because that kid, every single kid has had around 15,000, 20,000 hours of exposure to their language. And you in your classroom have had maybe 100, uh, you know, maybe 200, maybe 100. Uh, if your teacher has been speaking English, you know, 50% of the time, then now you've had 50 hours of exposure to this language. And you're expecting yourself to be as fluent as this child. Um, but as soon as you correct for that, as soon as you look at, okay, here's a kid who's, been, who's just moved to Spain. Uh, he's had, you know, 500 hours of Spanish exposure. And here's an adult who just moved to Spain and has had 500 hours of Spanish exposure over whatever, six-month period. Uh, the adult will become more fluent than that child every single time. Uh, adults tend to be smarter than children. They tend to be, because we've learned how to learn, we've learned how to become smarter. Um, adults generally have a, a better ability to pick up second languages than children. It's just that we don't have the time for it. And we don't take that time. But, but it, it seems what you're also saying is that there is... Or there are certain ways which are, um, it's, it's not just a question of kind of pure exposure time. You know, I, I could sit someone in a room and play them 10,000 hours of French, but they're not necessarily <laughs> going to learn it. I mean, it, it's, there's, 
you know, once someone has a method or, 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 or fits into a certain pattern of doing things, then they can, you know, do it faster than children. Is that right? Uh, yes. I mean, there's, there is something to be said for just uh, mere exposure, but it is exposure in the context of something that you can basically understand. Uh, Stephen Krashen has a lot of good articles about this idea of comprehensible input, which is part of this, part of the picture, uh, which is to say that if I walk up to a, a, a child and start reciting Shakespeare to them, they're not going to get anything. <laughs> right. uh, but if I walk up to a kid and they say, hey, do you want a cookie? And this is a Russian-speaking kid or whatever. Uh, they'll know just exactly what I mean. And they'll learn a little bit of English in the process. And so we build up from a sort of gestural language, a language of context, a language of, well, of course you're saying, of course one of the words you're using is cookie because you're holding a cookie in your hand. Uh, we take that kind of input and that's how the language is built. Uh, and so... Input actually will do a lot for you, as long as it's the right sort of input. I think what um, what people run into is that uh, they're either dealing with a ton of incomprehensible input, they're just watching television or something endlessly and they're not getting anything, um, or they're dealing more usually with translations and things, which is not actually foreign language input. It's, it's just English. I mean, I, I have people talking about, well, you know, I just like to watch French, French movies with subtitles. And I'm like, well, it's fine. You know, you're watching a great English uh, book with, you know, people walking around with French background music. I mean, you're, you're reading a book whenever you watch a subtitled movie. Uh, you know, people cheat themselves out of language exposure quite a bit. So, I mean, uh, something which which often comes up when uh, when one is talking with people about you know, language learning and so on. They say, well, you know, I, I don't have the time or, you know, I, my needs for learning the language, I need to learn the language now. And if I don't, you know, if I don't have it in the next one month, then, you know, then I'm just not going to bother. Do, do you have any um, uh, sense or, or kind of ballpark figures? You know, how long, how long does it take to learn a language? You know, you see all sorts of things on the internet and in studies and, and so on. Obviously, it differs from language to language, but... Yeah, I mean, it, I think the, um, the Foreign Service Institute's uh, estimates are, are really, in my experience, they've been they've borne out that, that there are languages of, of different difficulty classes um, and that if you are in English... And the, all those difficulties don't have to do with the language themselves. They have to do with how distant that language is from your own language, your native language. Um, and for English speakers, it's easier to learn Spanish than Russian. And Spanish will take you about half the time as Russian. And uh, Japanese, for instance, will take you about twice the time as a Russian. Um, and four times the time as Spanish or French or Portuguese, these sorts of languages. Um, in terms of total amount of time, it depends on, uh, on how you're doing it. I mean, uh, and how efficiently you're, you're working, how efficiently you're using that time. Um, I know that the immersion experience... Uh, I mean, I've, I've you've done the immersion experience numerous times at this point. I've done this whole the, the whole full immersion program, where you know, even the extremely strict ones, where if you speak one word of English, you're kicked out, and <laughs> this sort of thing. Um, those programs are about as fast as you can go. Um, and in my experience, it took me 14 weeks to get German to C1 fluency from nothing. Um, uh, that's in, is that including your your kind of uh, no. preparation? That's just purely in the no. That's pure uh, pure immersion. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so that's about as fast as I believe one can go. Uh, I mean, if, if you are speaking German every single hour of the day, if you're thinking in German every single hour of the day, if you're taking 
hours of classes. You have, I mean, I think the, the program I was in was around four hours of class a day plus four hours of homework a day, a night. Um, and the weekends, you'd have extra homework so that you would, you know, not be sad at, at having nothing to do. Like, no, no, you'd have tons of essays to write and books to read. Uh, and every single minute of every day is spent in German. And so there's nothing more you can do. <laughs> I mean, you can't do more than every minute of every day in German. And so th at that rate, uh, I did two seven-week programs uh, starting from nothing uh, I got to, I think, a B1 level, B2, B1, something around there. After seven weeks, um, I took uh, a year off because it's, it's only in the summer, these, this particular program. This is the Middlebury, Vermont uh, German school. And uh, then I, t I did no German over the course of the, 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 the intervening academic year. And then I went back for the following summer and reached C1 fluency. And I think that's not uncommon. I mean, the, there's a reason why... Um, you know, Benny Lewis has the most popular blog on, on, on language learning at the moment, and his, his blog's name is The Fluent in Three Months, and that's actually a good figure for a language like German. I mean, if you do full, full, full immersion, three months is not unreasonable to reach a high degree of fluency for German. Uh, if that was Russian, I think six months would be reasonable. If that was Japanese, I think a year would be reasonable for full immersion. Um, but people don't have time for that. Uh, and so there's a question, well, okay, well, if I don't have 18 hours a day to spend on this language, <laughs> which most people don't, uh, then how little time can I spend? Um, and what I've found uh, with this thing I've developed in terms of uh, my first time playing with it really was in French, um, was that I could replicate those first seven weeks that I spent in German, that, that seven-week immersion process, um, I got to the exact same level in my French in three months of two-hour-a-day practice. Right. Um, and that was pretty remarkable. I mean, for me, I, I did not expect to reach that level. Uh, and I showed up in that program realizing, speaking, basically speaking French for the very first time in my entrance interview and realizing that I could actually think in French. And that the time commitment that I'd spent on that was not unreasonable. I mean, I think uh, it, was, it was extreme to some extent. I think two hours a day is a lot. I mean, that's a serious time commitment. Uh, but that is something that many people can actually manage where, where they can't actually manage 18 hours a day of, of study. Um, and in the, the later languages, in Russian and now especially in Hungarian, uh, I've attempted to see, okay, well, two hours a day worked. Uh, what about one hour a day? Uh, what about 30 minutes a day? Um, and so Hungarian for me has been a real test of how little can I, how little time can I spend? I mean, can I, if I really have a ton of work to do, which I have <laughs> this year, uh, and I just don't have the time to study every day, and I generally I can spare maybe a half hour, like this, this, this Hungarian test has really been, well, what is this like in the real world where you just don't have time to do this? Where it's important to you, but not at, so important to you that you can actually dedicate an hour or two hours a day to it. Uh, and I found that Hungarian has worked just fine. Uh, it's worked slower than French, naturally. Uh, if you spend a half hour a day, it's not going to go as fast as two hours a day. Uh, but the information, I retain all of the information. In fact, I retain it better because I'm learning it over a longer period of time. And my Hungarian is building just fine. I'm about, I think in about a week or two, I'm going to start reading The Hobbit in Hungarian with audiobook, which I'm just really excited about. I'm currently just delving through the vocabulary of the thing, getting all the most frequent words. I'm learning things like elves and goblins and, you know, how to Important say... Words, you mean. Yeah, like dragon, you know, you need it. <laughs>
Um, so, so I mean, l l l let's let's put this in 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 a kind of uh, uh, a common scenario, at least for the kind of the people who um, who who read and visit my blog. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of kind of diplomats or journalists or perhaps even some kind of soldiers and stuff who are uh, assigned, or maybe humanitarian workers who are assigned to a particular country. And you know, in the in the past, maybe they wouldn't have thought um, of of learning a language because you know uh, this takes time. You know, I don't have the time. If I'm only spending a year in a place, why would I bother learning the language? Mm. You know, I, I have I have three months, let's say, before before I leave um, um, to to Afghanistan or you know maybe somewhere in the Middle East, and we're talking about Arabic or or wherever it is. Um, what's what can I be doing to um, to to learn the language of this place? I mean, essentially, what I'm asking is, you know, what, what what is your method for learning a language? Sure, uh, I mean the in an overview to some extent. What was that? It, it just it, it, as as an overview, I guess. Sure. Um, I mean, I guess there's sort of two tacks one can take here. Uh, there's the tack of I don't have much time. I have maybe a half hour a day and I'm going to be there in three months and I'm only going to live there for a year. Um, if that's your scenario, if it's, you're not particularly interested in, in saying, okay, well, I don't have the time for full, full fluency. I don't have the, I don't want to do this, uh, but I want to do something. I want to show up and know some language. Uh, you can basically sort of memorize phrases and things like that, which most people do. And there are more effective ways of doing that, using a lot of the tools that I recommend in terms of spaced repetition, in terms of using images on your flashcards. Uh, you can memorize a lot of appropriate sentences and vocabulary and, and get around a little better. Um, but if you have some desire to really take in a language, I mean, really, really become fluent in this thing, uh, then I would recommend what I generally do. Uh, and what that is, is, is spending, basically I build the language up from, uh, from the fundamentals of how it is we memorize things. And the way we memorize things, every, every time you have a word, um, that word is built up of, of certain pieces. Uh, if I have the word dog, it's built up of uh, primarily, I mean, this, the sort of base level is the sound of that word, dog. Um, which, if this is another language, is going to be a bunch of sounds that you can't necessarily hear. I mean, Hungarian, you have kucha, which has a lot of strange sounds in it, uh, sounds that, are, that, that if you have an English speaker repeat, they're going to say, that sounded kind of like uh, kutya, but it's not that, and a Hungarian would not even understand that. Uh, they would only understand the words that sounded just like Hungarian, kutya. Um, and so your that's sort of this base level. You need to actually get some sense of the sound of the word. Um, I use a lot of stuff with the written language. I find that the written language enhances your understanding of the spoken language uh, and makes it easier to take in vocabulary. And so for me also, the spelling is a pretty essential chunk too. I mean, that, that you need to know the spelling system so that you can take in that kind of input. Uh, and so I spend the first two to three weeks of a language uh, dealing exclusively with the sound and spelling system of that language. Uh, I don't care about vocabulary. I'll use vocabulary for example words, uh, but th that's it. I'm, I'm not interested in communicating at this point. I'm interested in training my ears to hear the sounds uh, and in, in internalizing the spelling system. Uh, once that's in place, I'm in a position to actually start learning words a lot faster. You were about to ask something? No, I was just, just going to say, you know, you were talking about pronunciation there. How... 
um, uh, I think it's 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 kind of the the curse of uh, of um, England and British people <laughs> that um, pronunciation is seen as not particularly important. As long as you get more or less the right, you know, you know, halfway there, then you know you're already doing pretty well. So you, you needn't bother. I mean, aside from just pure questions of kind of you know uh, cultural respect and not massacring someone's language. Um, what, what, why would someone want to make that extra effort to get their, their pronunciation really perfect? Um, I think the, the cultural respect thing is, is, is significant, but I think much more self-centered, uh, is that you're going to have a serious difficulty memorizing any words in that language or remembering anything, uh, if you can't hear the sounds of that language. Um, if you have a Japanese speaker and you start teaching them words like rock and lock, when they can't hear the difference between the two words... Uh, every single time they encounter a word with an R and L, they're going to have trouble remembering those words. Uh, if I tell you, you know, that the Italian word for camera is uh, uh, camera, a fotocamera, that's like okay. It's it's close enough that you can maybe remember this word without much trouble. But if you get some distance in there, or if you get a, a few sounds that are really unfamiliar, uh, like in Hungarian, I tell you the the same word, camera, is fingerkapazugip. It's gone already. You've forgotten it already. I mean, there's, you don't have the ability to actually take in and process that word at all. And so you, if you don't focus on pronunciation in the beginning, you set yourself up for uh, the entire language process is going to be more difficult for you. Uh, whereas if you spend just a couple of weeks getting your ears so that the, you know, the sound makes sense to you, so you can get the thing part in the beginning. Uh, this idea of this e, this this close, this the sound that is not an e, it's not an a, it's e, fing keep, uh, that starts making some sense to you. Uh, this zu, this idea that there's a difference in Hungarian, for instance, between zu and zu, because they have a long, they have long vowels and short vowels. Once every one of those pieces starts actually making some sense to you, starts existing in your ear as a concept. Uh, then you can hear a word like and you think, oh, I know how to spell that even. I'm going to write that word right down. And that you're in a position to actually remember something. Um, and so I find that the, the most essential part is that it, it's just a matter of efficiency. You know, if you spend the time on pronunciation, your whole, the rest of your process is going to go faster. And that keeps paying dividends uh, later when you have a decent accent. I mean, the, the, if you train your ear in the beginning, you're going to develop an ac a, a, a pretty accurate accent for all the way through. Um, you'll find that native speakers will not switch into English whenever you speak to them. Uh, whereas if you show up and you start speaking everything poorly or with a thick you know, British accent or American accent, uh, generally most people know English better than you know the language you're studying, uh, at least in many places in the world. Uh, and they will switch right back into English uh, as soon as they have difficulty understanding you because you have a thick uh, British or English accent or American accent. Okay, so pronunciation is important but i mean I, I i can i can kind of anticipate people saying well you know okay so so i'm going to i'm going to study the the pronunciation um how 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 am i going to do this um uh efficiently and um you know uh, can you can you say something a little bit uh, most people who listen will not really be aware of kind of spaced repetition and the wonders of things sure. like anki could you sure. say something about that maybe yeah, I just wrote an article about this in Scientific American Mind uh, that that talks about this specific issue. That this is a difficult thing to train. 
uh, training your ear to hear a sound that you can't hear right now uh, is one of the most difficult challenges in language learning. Um, and there are, I found, actually, I got this question from, uh, from my editor, actually, in the beginning of writing my book. I was like, pronunciation is really important. He's like, okay, yeah, but how? My editor basically just asked me, okay, well, y- yes, you're saying pronunciation is important. He asked them the same question. It's like, okay, I, I can see you think pronunciation is important, but like, well, how do you do this? What do you do? And one of the challenges here is that the resources uh, to learn pronunciation are, are sparse. Um, they're, they're really limited in terms of what's out there, which is one of the reasons that I, uh, I ended up spending the last year basically setting up this Kickstarter so that I could develop these resources and make it and fill in this gap. Um, but that doesn't, I mean, even for languages where, where I'm not developing, uh, it, <clears throat> just some, for some background, I guess that people don't just magically know everything about me. Uh, I'm, I'm developing a series of pronunciation trainers uh, that basically um, do all the work for you. You sit there, you play with the app, you watch a few videos, you play with the app, the app quizzes you on sounds and says, okay, are you hearing tjuk with a T or tjuk with a G? Um, and in that process, it trains your ear, uh, your ears to hear these new sounds. Um, this is all well and good, but for languages that are not covered on this, for, for relatively, for minority languages, for languages with, with restricted resources, um, all you really need to do uh, to train your ear is find some word pairs that are challenging for you. Find some words that, that the native speaker that you're working with, this tutor or whatever, your textbook, I mean my Hungarian textbook started with this, uh, say are going to be challenging. Uh, my Hungarian textbook started with a, a, a really lovely list. It said, all right, here are the words that you're going you're gonna to dread. <laughs> what, 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 uh, what, what do you mean by, by a word pair? Um, I mean, word, two words that sound identical to your ears, and uh, someone tells you they're not actually supposed to be identical. Uh, in my book, it, it, in my Hungarian book, for instance, it began saying, all right, well, here's two words, A-D and A-D-D. Here's odd and odd. And you're like, what? <laughs> Those exactly sound the like... the same to me. Right, they sound exactly the same. And then here's another pair, you know, chuk and juk. And you're like, well, ooh, those are, those are different? And so that's what you're looking for. You're looking for words where you think they're the same and they're not. Um, and many, many textbooks start with these. Many resources, uh, many older resources start with these. Um, the, Foreign, uh, the Foreign Service Institute has a bunch of very, very dry textbooks. They're often just this horribly boring. Uh, but the beginning of them all seem to start with this sort of thing where they show you word pairs and they tell you, okay, guess between these word pairs or here, let me, let's present these word pairs. Uh, you can take any one of any of these words, any of these pairs, um, get recordings of them from forvo.com. You can get free recordings from forvo.com um, and put them into uh, a series of flashcard tests. And those flashcard tests, all they're going to do is say, okay, here's AD and here's ADD. And I'm going to say one of these two words, odd. Which one is it? And you guess, you hear this sound, you guess which one it is. And then you hit the button and it tells you whether you were right or wrong. And that is enough. That feedback process, that process of, of guessing, seeing if you're right or wrong, and then and, and doing it again, uh, is enough to, to train your ear to hear a new sound. Um, and so with just a few of those, a few of those in, in, in really key areas, which are usually given to you in, in many, many textbooks, especially when a language is difficult, uh, they, they will talk about this even more. It's, it's harder to find this stuff for things like Italian and Spanish. It's, it's relatively easy to find them for things like, like Mandarin Chinese, Russian, 
Hungarian. Um, as soon as you find some of these, you can put them into a, a flashcard system and, 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 and train yourself to hear these things. Uh, I have a tutorial on, on my website on this. It's, it's uh, fluent-forever.com, I think, slash chapter three. That's the chapter in my book that I discussed this. Um, that basically shows you how to do this in not that much time. I think in, in my case, um, to develop a full pronunciation trainer with every single sound in Hungarian, including the time spent finding recordings of uh, researching which words I need to deal with, of, of laying out the entire spelling system, I think that ended up taking me around four hours total. And now that, and that's also the, the work of developing the, the, the trainer. At this point, that work has been done for you, so it will probably take you less time. Um, and it took me around 10 days to study those flashcards at around 20 minutes a day. And by the end of those 10 days, I basically had the entire Hungarian sound system in my head, uh, which blew me away. I mean, I, I come from an opera singing background. That was my original career. And we took uh, a semester, an entire semester of French and Italian pronunciation, and then a semester of German and English pronunciation. Um, and the work that I had learned over that full semester, I mean, well, I guess half semester per language, uh, I accomplished in 10 days with this thing. Uh, so it's it's an incredibly efficient way to learn this sort of thing, and it's it's kind of fun. I mean, you're listening to all these crazy sounds, and it's I find ear work really kind of uh, it's just fascinating because you it's a, it's like working a muscle that you usually don't work. It's like skiing or something, and you feel this like strange muscle soreness. Like if someone's like juke juke, which one is it? It's just sort of exciting and and, and challenging in an interesting way. So I mean, definitely it. it it seems like this is something that most people should be doing when they when they start up uh, learning a language and to take the time with 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 the pronunciation especially since there's such a clear way to do it um you know in an effective manner uh yeah i think i, I don't see why one wouldn't spend that time in the sense of if you, if your eventual goal is full fluency uh that time will pay dividend that that time you spend in the beginning will pay dividends all the way throughout the rest of your language learning um, I mean, if you cannot find the resources or if you're, um, you know, you, you can't handle computers or you just hate dealing with this sort of stuff, uh, just spending some time playing around with the pronunciation sex, uh, sections of a textbook. Because usually a textbook will, will have, you know, here's, you know, chapter one, here's how to say hello, how are you? Uh, and then at the end of chapter one, it'll have a little thing saying like, and now we're going to talk about pronunciation. And then they'll have the same thing in chapter two, like let's talk about a different aspect of pronunciation. Um, if you just jump from pronunciation section to pronunciation section and skip all that grammar and skip all the vocabulary and just look at those sections first, uh, that will end up being a much more efficient order of study. Uh, and so if, it, the, the, if you have no interest in making your own tools, which honestly I find a lot of fun, uh, but, and, if, and also if the, those tools have not been developed for you. I mean, if it's, if I'm not making pronunciation trainers for your language, this kind of thing, and if no one has written a book on pronunciation for you, uh, then just doing that will do quite a bit. Right. So, um, I mean, there, there, there are kind of many other things we could talk about in terms of your overall method. Um, uh, it probably makes more sense for me just to direct people to to maybe the Tim Ferriss article or something like that. The Tim um, Ferriss article is good. I can give like a real like a like a the one minute summary is basically uh, I do two to three weeks of pronunciation work right in the beginning, um, 
after that, I start learning extremely concrete visual vocabulary. I have a list of 600 words that I learned first uh, that are basically very, very common words that you need, but words that you can learn exclusively using pictures rather than translations. So I will learn words like ball and bird and mother and, you know, prison, prison, <laughs> keyword. Um, and so uh, I learn those words first because that, for one, reinforces the sound, for, the sound foundation, uh, the spelling foundation, and also allows me to just look at things and think immediately in that language. I can just stare at a cup and think pohar, and I don't have to, uh, I don't have to go through an English translation step. Um, after I learn those 600 words, I transition into grammar and abstract words, and I learn all of them in the context of sentences. At the point where you know dog, cat, and chase, uh, and you know all of those as, as, as visual concepts in your head, then the idea of learning the dog chases the cat is something that is really very doable uh, because you know all of the characters in the story. You just need to know how the words change around so that they can interact. Uh, and so at that point, I start learning grammar in the context of sentences. I say the dog blank the cat. I have a picture of a dog chasing a cat. I have in parentheses to chase. And that's going to be how I start learning things like chases, like the, um, like word order where, you know, does the cat chase, like, cat chases the, dog, chases the dog or dog chases the cat? How does word order change the meaning of a sentence? Uh, and that's, that's a stage that, that takes around two, three months, depending on how intensely you're doing it. I mean, if you do it an hour a day, it'll take you less time. Uh, but at that point, you basically internalize the whole grammatical system of the language. And at that point, you can just kind of play around. Uh, once you have the grammar down, uh, you can start reading books, you can start you know, watching movies, you can start speaking with people easily. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the stage I'm, I'm, st I'm stepping into at this point with Hungarian with The Hobbit. Uh, and it's, it's pretty neat. I mean, it's, it's this, once you have the language assembled in your head, then you get to start using it. And that's, that's just a lot of fun. And that's in terms of not only kind of consuming it, but also speaking it presumably as well. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, just a kind of penultimate question. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of this, um, it's much easier to find uh, nice kind of outlines of pronunciation, word pairs, and vocabulary lists and phrase books and things for, I don't know, French or Italian. Um, but, uh, you know, someone who's about to go and work in Somalia, let's say, or um, even Afghanistan, you know, the, the, you know where, where there are... Um, languages which they may be spoken by a lot of people but the um, necessity for providing kind of and writing and developing textbooks in those languages uh, has been minimal um, mm -hmm. how uh, what 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 would you recommend for someone uh, wanting to self-study one of these languages that doesn't come with a nice Pimsleur pre-made course sure um, I did um, actually did some workshops up in Canada uh, for the Iroquois nations. Uh, they were trying to save their languages. Um, and so they asked me to come up and teach them how to do that, uh, which is an amazing experience. Um, and they don't have resources. No one has written the, you know, Pimsleur Guide to Mohawk. Like, it just doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, and what... Um, the modifications I made were as follows. Um, the pronunciation part is key, but, but if you don't have the word pairs, uh, then you're either going to need to find them, um, or you can learn them kind of as you go. There's one of, the, um, one of the flashcards I recommend in the beginning for these first 600 words. Um, one of them will, will ask, will, will present the word to you and say, what is this thing? 
you know, it'll say, you know, dog. And then you have to think, uh, what does a dog look like? <laughs> and you think of this picture, and then you flip the card, you see a picture. The other one will show you a picture of a dog and say, what's this? And you have to think, uh, the word for that is dog. The third one of those cards says the word dog out loud. Uh, you're picking up a recording, which you, uh, you're going to need some sort of native speaker input. If you're using a real minority language, you're going to need to get someone to record words for you. Uh, but often in that, that's doable. I mean, often you can hire someone for relatively cheaply uh, to record a bunch of example words. Even online. I mean, you don't need to find a physical speaker. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and for, for many of these languages, they are on Forvo.com. Uh, even some Mohawk was on Forvo.com before I showed up there, and they're, they're expanding that resource quite a bit. Um, but people like recording things. People like the, this the sort of game idea of, of, you know, someone puts on a website, hey, I need someone to record independence, and you think, oh, I can help, and you click this button, you say independence, and somehow you've contributed to something that's bigger, and you have. Uh, and so those resources are, are expanding very rapidly because people enjoy doing them. Um, but even if you're in an extreme minority language where uh, where no one is interested in recording things, or there's no internet connections in the place you are, uh, you can hire someone relatively easily to uh, to record 600 words for. I mean, in many of these locations, for very very cheap. Um, but you will need some sort of source of native audio input. Um, but one of these cards will will say the word dog out loud. Will play a recording. It will give you a picture of a dog and will say, "How do you spell this?" And you have to spit out D O G. Now, those cards tend to be uh, some of the most effective for ear training. Uh, I, I expected in the beginning those would be really effective for teaching you spelling, uh, but in practice, actually, it ends up training the ear much more than the spelling um, because it forces you to really focus on what you're hearing and use any clues you possibly can that your ears are giving you to try and remember what on earth is, how on earth this word is spelled. Right. Uh, and so that may well be enough uh, to make up for the lack of resources in terms of uh, pronunciation resources. Um, you'll need to get a bunch of words translated. That also is relatively cheap to get. Uh, if your language is not in Google Translate, if you're which is not a great resource anyway, I mean, <laughs> you're going to want to have these things professionally translated or get some sort of good dictionary. Um, but you get these words translated, uh, you put them into your flashcard system, you get through them as fast as possible um, because for other languages, for languages like French, um, you can use Google Images to really explore what a word means. You can put in chat, the French word for cat, and discover exactly what French people think of when they think of cats and how it's different from the English word cat. Uh, for minority languages, you don't have that resource, and so you're trying to get through that stage as fast as possible. You're just trying to get pictures of cats that, that have some personal connection to you. Basically, you should like each picture you stick into your flashcard deck, uh, but nothing more than that. Um, and as soon as you can get through that vocabulary, then all you're doing is taking in example sentences, uh, using fill-in-the-blanks there, and just knocking out a word and putting it back in. Um, and that's where you're learning the language for real. That's where you're picking up the grammar. That's where you're picking up all the little bits of the language that are uh, unique to that language. Um, and so that's where I, I suggest for minority languages, you rush to that stage. You get as fast as you can to the grammar stage. Um, because that's where the language, where the words will interact in in a way that is not just translations. So that for for that, for example, you know, maybe you could use um, you know primary school textbooks um, for which kids use you know in that language, which are all going to be in the you know source language with absolutely easy words and stuff, and then 
it's just a question of kind of de decomposing or deconstructing that then into your flashcard system, I guess. Yeah, I mean, basically all you need uh, to get a grammatical system down um, are a bunch of example sentences that you can basically understand. And by basically understand, I mean either you have translations or those sentences are so simple uh, and are so obvious from context, because it's an illustrated kid's book, for instance, uh, that you, you get the idea that if something says, you know, ich heiße Jonathan, and then the other person says, oh, also freut mich, Jonathan, ich heiße Susan, that you have some sense of, okay, this guy's probably introducing himself and his name's probably Jonathan, and the other girl's name is Susan. Right. And she probably said something about, you know, great to meet you or something about Jonathan and then said her name was Susan. Uh, you need some sort of source of sentences. Uh, and then you can take those sentences apart and, and, and really split them into a million pieces. Say, okay, well, what about, what's this first part doing? Okay, that part is I. That part is, is identifying the person who's speaking. And then Heisa, okay, this is the person to be called. This is, he's, I'm, uh, I call myself, perhaps. And then Jonathan, okay, well, that's where that goes. And it's not Ich Jonathan Heisa, it's not Jonathan Ich Heisa, it's Ich Heisa Jonathan. Uh, and so you really break this apart into what is each word doing, what is the order of the sentence, uh, and that will dump the grammatical system into your head. Uh, and so either you're dealing with kids' textbooks or you're dealing with translated sentences, honestly. And in almost any language, I don't care how minority it is, you're going to find a source of example sentences. I mean, at the very least, you're going to find a Bible translated in every single language. Right. Um, just, just kind of finally, I mean, you, you talked at various points, uh, and it's clear that kind of the, the theory of learning languages and stuff informs how you go about it. And, you know, uh, to some extent, you know, quite possibly some, some of the stuff you just was just developed uh, by chance and so on, but but it seems that um, you know you're employing uh, a lot of the kind of um, almost kind of social science techniques um, in terms of how people pedagogy and how people learn. H how important is it for someone who wants to learn a language to have some exposure to that kind of theory of learning, or can they just take the kind of principles? Um, uh, and, and the method kind of uh, two steps down from that? I think if someone, uh, my original book was basically a how-to book, um, was basically, you know, do this, do this, do this. Uh, it was originally, I think, what, what, what I was asked to write and was what I wrote. Um, and that works. Honestly, if you go through the motions and you do, you, 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 you do this properly, then you can use it to learn a language. Um, what I find, though, is that if you have some, just a bit of background in terms of why this stuff works, what's going on in your head, um, it allows you to do it a bit more efficiently um, and a, a bit, with a bit more knowledge as to whether something is necessary or not. Um, I have people who will, uh, I've, I've told them sort of the broad, the broad strokes of what I do, and then they start spending, um, you know, 30 minutes looking for the right picture of a dog. And... And then they start, they send me an email. They're like, this takes too long. <laughs> and I said, the back of thinking, like, well, how, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I spend 30 minutes looking for a picture of a dog. And then I, then I stop because I need to eat. And if you have a bit of, of background knowing, okay, well, the time you spend looking for the right picture of a dog is actually wasted time. 
Uh, but the time you, the, 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 the moment, the, that, that first five seconds of looking for that dog, of figuring out, okay, well, what do, what do French people think of when they think of dogs, this kind of thing, uh, that's ex- inc- incredibly valuable time. And if you don't have that time, then you've, 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 you've wasted an opportunity. Like, just knowing what you're doing and why allows you to make the process, uh, allows you to be more efficient with your process, allows you to uh, make better choices with your time. Um, and it also allows you to adapt. Uh, it allows you to, I mean, every language is going to have its own unique challenges. Uh, it's one of the fun things about learning languages is that you come across these these extraordinarily weird ways of thinking about things. And then you have to figure out a way to put that in your head. And if you understand the basic principles of why this is happening, uh, it allows you to become much more flexible and adaptable to to different language challenges. And so I think it's valuable. Right. Well, I mean, luckily for... For us, you've kind of put the hard work in uh, to to kind of codify this, and and, and definitely I w- would would recommend uh, people listening to this um, go out buy the book if you're serious and you know you want to really become proficient. There's obviously the Creative Live course that you did, which I don't know how many, how many hours that is in total, but it's many many eighteen hours. eighteen hours this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> which which I, I i have i have been through all myself and can testify to uh to to their value um you know i i often i often uh say somewhat um kind of whimsically um that you know uh, a lot of problems in terms of the way um uh, foreign intervention is kind of carried out around the world um would be solved if only people spoke the language of the places where they were intervening in and you know, while while I think actually it's you know that's only only part of the problem, um, uh, I think um, you know the way the way programs would be conducted and a whole host of things would be simplified if people were speaking to people in you know in their local language and and it just kind of improves all sorts of things um, in terms of your your understanding of a place and yeah. It gives you empathy. I mean, you, you, it, it forces you to have empathy. If you are speaking someone else's language, you are thinking in the way they think. I mean, that's, that's just, it's just the case. I mean, I think differently in French. I think differently in German. I think differently in Russian. I mean, it's, there's, there's nothing that's going to connect you to someone uh, as much as actually speaking their language. Uh, especially, I mean, especially from a performance standpoint. I mean, I, I've, I've watched this happen. I mean, you can, you can show up on a stage and you butcher German and people, and you, you have a lovely voice. You know, this is, You've all these people, all these students coming to Austria, for instance, where I studied, and lovely voices, they'll come up, they'll butcher German and sing it lovely, but just it's not German. And the audience response is generally very, very um, appreciative but cold. There's some sense of, oh, well, you have a lovely voice, I'm glad you're here. Uh, as soon as you actually speak that language, and you can think in that language, and you pronounce it in a way that they would pronounce it, uh, they respond completely differently. They they feel like you have actually opened up to them, and they open up back to you. I mean, it's a in terms of uh, I mean that's just on a music level. I mean, think in terms of international policy, in terms of really you know trying to make a difference. Uh, I think language is huge. I absolutely agree with you. Well, here's here's hoping many more diplomats and journalists and uh, uh, all sorts of people learn languages. Um, I'm, yep. I'm into that. 